What's up everybody, Tara Wellman here. Welcome back to Winter Wonderland. Hopefully you all survived Snowmageddon or whatever it is we're calling winter storms these days just in time to prepare for another one because that's what we do in the winter is hibernate and wonder about baseball. Now with winter warm-up happening this weekend, it may start to feel a little bit more like baseball is close, but there's still a lot of things to be determined in the baseball world before we kick off spring training, much less the regular season. So joining me today to talk a little bit more about what the Cardinals still need to do or how their spring training and regular season looks to be shaping up is Jennifer Langosh, who, as we learned this week, will soon be moving on from her time in St. Louis. But I was thrilled to catch up with her one more time before she heads out of town. Well, Jen, first of all, thank you for joining me this morning. And second of all, congratulations on uh, the news about the new job. Of course, everyone will miss you in St. Louis, but sounds like a great opportunity. So I'm glad I got to catch up with you before you leave town. <laughs> yeah, Tara, I'm sorry that we're doing this as I'm about to uh, transition out. But the good news is I'm staying in St. Louis. So um, I will be still living here with my family. Won't be working from the ballpark every day. Obviously, you won't see my name as much on cardinals.com. My fingerprints are going to kind of be behind the scenes moving forward. But I'm really excited. I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed covering this team for the last seven years. Um, you know, when I got the opportunity to come to St. Louis in 2012, I jumped at it. I mean, where better to cover baseball than in the city of St. Louis? And so thrilled that I was able to do this. But I'm excited about a new professional opportunity, get to mentor a bunch of young writers we're hiring for our company. Um, and again, kind of get to direct where our content is going. So um, I look forward to it, but I'm going to miss having these sorts of chats and interacting with a lot of folks on Twitter like I have recently. Well, it's obvious by the reactions that people have appreciated you in St. Louis as well. So uh, on that note, before we jump to the 2019 team, when you look back at the, the last seven years, um, some of the, the players and the coaches and the people you've been able to cover, the stories you've been able to tell, what stands out for you about your time in St. Louis? I mean, I think a couple things. I mean, certainly the people. And, you know, a lot of people ask what it's like to work in this profession. And, you know, I get a lot of questions too about what it's like to be a female in this profession. And I can tell you, like, I've been very thankful and that and full of gratitude that I've worked with a bunch of professional players here, um, both in the front office and then and, and obviously in the clubhouse player wise. So um, that's always been something that's, uh, you know, it's treated me very well here. You know, I think the other thing about coming to St. Louis is I have essentially covered meaningful baseball every single day at the ballpark. I mean, what can we count on our hand, like seven games, maybe in the last seven <laughs> years where the Cardinals didn't take the field with something legitimately at stake. And, you know, after covering baseball in Pittsburgh, which I loved Pittsburgh and I will never speak ill of Pittsburgh, but um, covering baseball there for five years in kind of the depths of their worst as a franchise to come here, it was really refreshing to see how much baseball mattered. So, um, you know, I felt like the coverage that I was providing was important to the community here. Um, and again, to be able to cover postseasons and playoff games, I was going through yesterday, kind of through my mind, some of the like the most favorite games I've covered. And there's a really, really long list. And that's just a credit to the stability of this organization and all the success they continue to have. 
And that's been uh, actually a talking point this offseason is how they've managed to create that stability and, and what that looks like going forward, especially when you do look at this 2019 team and, and sort of the not necessarily a dead end, but kind of the, the, the lack of clear direction beyond 2019. So when you look at what they've done, the Cardinals were aggressive this offseason going out and getting the big ticket items that they needed. Um, but there are still a lot of questions about what that means and, and where this team is going. Is that something that that you feel like is a question that the the front office is still trying to answer or is it more the fans who don't know all of the pieces to this to this story uh, can't really quite see what the what the end is at this point probably a little bit of both if I'm being <laughs> honest you know I mean I think the front office was really forced to kind of reevaluate um their system and you know being at left out of the postseason for three years in a row well force a little bit of self-evaluation. And so I think they've done that to an extent, but this is always an organization that is continuing to forecast two, three, five years out. And so, you know, they do have a plan that maybe, you know, you and I or other fans out there may not always be able to see. I mean, they, they kind of project who's coming through the system. They project, um, you know, which players they have now that maybe they're going to lock down for the long term. So that's all part of the equation. But, you know, I think you have seen this offseason how they've been very aggressive. And this is a team um, that's always prudent with its spending and very um, calculated with its decisions. But I think it's been very clear that this is also a team right now that's going all in for 2019, but at the same time, Tara, not sacrificing what they hope is going to be stability for the long term. And I think that's really the tough balance right now because you see across baseball so many teams that, you know, whether it's the rebuilding teams who, you know, take three or five years to build up for a short window or some of these other clubs that just go all in and, and then forced to rebuild after that. The Cardinals are very unique in that they've been able to straddle that line very, very well. So um, it's a big year, though, no questions asked, because you kind of look at what we're going to be talking about at this time of the year, you know, next winter, and all the potential players that are going to be leaving if they can't re-sign some of them, um, and there will be a lot of transition happening. So, yes, they have a long-term plan, but they also have short-term goals, and right now, uh, clearly, their short-term goal is to get back to the postseason and be a World Series contender in 2019. One of the players that I think is going to be really important in that process this season, and I guess to some degree figuring out what they have going forward, is Paul DeYoung potentially playing a, a full season in a very, very important role in that lineup. All the writers from MLB.com put together potential lineups. At this point in the season, it's anyone's guess, but yeah. you, you kind of look at the pieces that are there and see what makes the most sense. You have Paul DeYoung hitting third in that lineup, which is not an uncommon um, idea, but it, it's 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 bold to me in that it's not something we've seen him do at this point in his career. So it's it's not necessarily a sure thing in that three spot for this team, which has been sort of an issue for them the last couple of years. How much do you think this team needs Paul DeYoung to be that guy. Very much so. And, I mean, you saw the commitment they gave him financially last year that they expect him to be a cornerstone of this organization moving forward. You know, I just talked about how there's going to kind of be a lot of changes on the horizon as far as personnel. You know, Paul DeYoung, with where he signed until, is is not going to be one of them. So, you know, I think you, during his, you know, his rookie year, he obviously had a tremendous year offensively. Um, the power you know, that we saw was... I wouldn't say surprising, but I certainly for the Cardinals, very relieving. Um, 
Last year, we saw a great improvement defensively, but a little bit of a step back on the offensive end. So I think for Paul this year, the question is and the challenge is, is can he put that all together? Can he be an average to potentially above average defensive player? And can he be somebody that you can count on, you know, being a middle of the order type hitter, whether it's the three spot, you know, maybe he falls down to your five hole and hits behind Marcelo Zuna. Um, You know, we can talk about the lineup a little bit more, but I think a lot of this depends on does Dexter Fowler rebound because that's going to dictate where some of these lineup pieces are. And does Jose Martinez work his way into the lineup? Because that's a conversation as well. But as far as Paul, absolutely. I mean, he is a big piece of this organization moving forward. I do think that maybe it was lost a little bit last year that he was still recovering from that hand injury, even in the second half of the season. So, you know, not a surprise to me that the power numbers weren't necessarily there. The hope is now that that's past him, that he can get back to being the hitter that we saw his first year up. It's so interesting that you mentioned those other players, because to me, when I look at this roster, there's a ton of potential for how things could stack up in that lineup and be very dangerous. There are also a lot of ways that it could get kind of stuck in in maybe not being exactly what they want it to be on paper. Dexter Fowler being one of those guys, obviously, in a lot of ways. Um, a lot of talk about him this offseason, and, and for very good reason, but what what is good enough for Dexter Fowler in 2019? What does it look like for him to have a rebound year that that allows him to be the piece in the lineup wherever they need him to be instead of sort of burying him somewhere to hope he figures it out? Yeah, I mean, I think if he can be a capable five or six hole hitter, I think that could potentially be good enough because of the addition of Paul Goldschmidt and perhaps, you know, kind of the resurgence of a Paul DeYoung. You hope for a bounce back season from a guy like Marcelo Zuna as well. So let's not forget about him. But, you know, I'm not sure that, you know, Dexter Fowler has to be the guy that we saw here in 2017. It's interesting because you look back at that 2017 season for Dexter and as it was going along, you know, quite honestly, it felt a little bit underwhelming. Yeah. And then you got to the end of the year and you're looking at his numbers. (laughs) You're like, he he did okay. I think what was surprising is you saw these power numbers you didn't expect, but maybe you didn't see the on-base percentage that you did. So I think if he can find a balance there, certainly um, it could be good enough. Now, one of these questions, you know, again, and it's something that's going to be kind of lingering over this club until camp opens and the season starts is Jose Martinez, right? Because if he is still on this team and Dexter Fowler is just a mediocre average right fielder, and this is a team that all of a sudden needs some offense, I don't know how you can't turn to Jose Martinez at times to be able to be that boost. Um, If Jose Martinez is traded in the next couple weeks, which I still think is a possibility, then all of a sudden I think Dexter Fowler has a little bit longer of a leash. But, you know, I mean, unfortunately for him, his best years are probably behind him. But that's not a surprise when you hit your early 30s in this game. So, again, if he can be a serviceable hitter who can boost that on-base percentage a little bit, show a little bit of power, 15 to 20 home runs, I think he can be a guy who probably can fit in the bottom half of that lineup. Another guy I want to ask you about is is Colton Wong. And the reason for that is I get asked often where I think he fits in the lineup, anywhere from the leadoff spot to batting eighth. And it's interesting to try to figure out who Colton Wong is. I think part of that is for most of his major league career thus far, he's been trying to figure out who Colton Wong is yeah. offensively. What do you think the best best case scenario is for who Colton is as a hitter and where that fits into a lineup? Well, the thing you've always wanted to see more of of Colton is his ability to get on base, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, and we've seen that in flashes, and we saw it in flashes last year. If he is a guy who can get on base at a more consistent rate – 
then he is somebody who can be dangerous on the bases. And I'm not just talking, you know, stealing bases, which I still think that he can improve in that area as well, but just as a base runner and yeah. somebody who can go uh, first to third or first to home on a double, that sort of thing. So, you know, if he could, if he could improve that on base percentage, you could see him as a guy that could hit, you know, maybe second or somewhere near the top of the lineup. Reality, though, I think for this year is I think you're going to see him in that seventh or eighth spot. And I think it makes sense. You're going to it's, it's interesting. You're going to have a lineup that is going to be kind of heavy on base percentage up top and potentially heavy on speed toward the bottom with Harrison Bader and Colton Wong likely, you know, settling into the seven and eight hole. So I think that can work well, but you're right. I think Colton, the one thing he's been trying to do ever since he came up here is define himself as an offensive player. And, you know, we can, you know, rave about him defensively and where he is. I don't think there's really much need for improvement in that area, but if he can continue to be patient, continue to kind of work through the approaches that he has been in recent years, maybe trying to pull back on the power and being a pull hitter, just to be able to get on base, that's where he can be most valuable for this team. And then, of course, the the core of this team for the last decade plus is Yadier Molina, who may at this point play forever. Who really knows? <laughs> <laughs> but the Cardinals don't necessarily, sort of by design because of how much Yadier Molina plays, have a, a, a great backup plan. <laughs> and I'm not just talking about a guy to start every now and then, but a backup plan for, you know, the what ifs of a long season where Molina, you know, gets hurt or, or can't be on the field as, as much. What, what is the, the way to, to sort of sort through that? Because of course they have Andrew Kisner, they have Francisco Pena, but none of those are, are I don't know, maybe ready to step into that starting role all the time, should that be a necessity. But you also have to balance the idea or the reality that they're probably not going to play much. <laughs> so it's so what really do the Cardinals do with the idea of a backup catcher or the idea of a, a what-if contingency plan for Yadier Molina? <laughs> this is really, really tricky, Tara, because, you know, for the last couple of years, that backup was Carson Kelly, right? Yeah. And we figured, you know, if Yadi gets hurt, Carson was at a point in his career where you felt at least somewhat comfortable that he could step in and play every day. Well, the problem with that was that Yadi basically, you know, one month, of, you know, being the exception last year when he was recovering from surgery, he starts every game. And so it didn't give Carson the opportunities. And obviously we saw that the Cardinals then felt that they could free Carson um, and send him to Arizona's part of that part of that deal. The tricky thing is when you're trying to sell a backup job to free agents and that backup is to Yadi or Molina, like there's not much to sell. I mean, you're essentially selling the opportunity to start maybe 30 games a year. And, you know, across baseball, most backups are going to start closer to 50 to 60 games a year. So it's been very challenging for the Cardinals to sell this as an attractive job to players on the outside. I do think they are a little bit vulnerable in this area. I mean, Francisco Pena, if he's going to start 25, 30 games, I think he can be a fine backup. You know, he can handle the pitching staff well. Pitchers were very comfortable throwing to him. He's okay in that role. But certainly if Yadi either has to pull back on his workload significantly or if there's an injury that keeps him off the field, especially in the first half of the season, I do think there could be some issues. Now, Andrew Kinsner is a guy who I wouldn't be surprised here if we see him up here by the end of the year, maybe as a September call-up type player. And I think as you forecast to 2020, he's somebody that you see as a legitimate backup to Yadi or Molina and then the potential heir apparent to Yadi or Molina. But... You know, at this point, you know, when you look at April, May, and June, uh, the Cardinals really want Andrew to get some exposure at the AAA yeah. level first. So it's going to be tough. It's It's been really challenging because I think the Cardinals expected that at this point in Yadi's career that he would start to pull back a little bit in terms of workload. 
clearly he's not going to initiate that. And really, I mean, as you look at what he's doing on the field, there's not really reason for the Cardinals yeah. to initiate at this point. Yeah, that's that's the you expect that at some point, but at this point, as I said, you uh, now you almost kind of just expect him to play forever, right? When it's you true. when you listen to him talk, though, he's not entirely convinced of the the end of his career either. Do you have any any sort of gut feeling about how long Yadier Molina is going to continue to play? Yeah, it's it's interesting because you asked me this two years ago. I would have said you know twenty twenty at the end yeah. of this contract, I think was going to be the end, and he essentially said that. Right. He has walked that back a little bit. You know, I do think it's interesting that he says he'll, he only wants to play for the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to play into this. But honestly, Tara, like if he doesn't slow down all that much in the next two years, why wouldn't he return? And, you know, the one thing we always have to talk about with Yadier Molina is legacy. And the reason we have to talk about that is it's because it's important to him. And he wants to end his career as a Hall of Fame player. And we hear it all the time. There's a lot of debate as to whether he is that player right now. So if he is still going strong, you know, after two more seasons and there's an opportunity to come back, perhaps pad his stats, maybe win another award or two, I wouldn't be surprised if he does that again, kind of forecasting what it might be able to do to help his Hall of Fame chances yeah. and to win a World Series, right? I mean, this is a guy, too, that also has very ambitious team goals. And so that probably plays into it as well. Yeah, maybe maybe uh, the the root of that is holding on to uh, the idea of winning another winning another championship. So yep. um, he's just such a such a stable force for this team. And then you look at the pitchers that he's had to work with over the years as well. Um, and I don't mean had to, as in it was a requirement, but he had the opportunity to work with over the years. Carlos Martinez being one of them that stands out to me this season as a guy that, you know, I think a lot of us expected him to sort of have cemented his role by this point. I'm not sure that's really the case. And again, he's coming into a spring training where, yes, he's he's listed as one of the probable starters, but there are still some questions about how he can be that guy. What do you think Carlos Martinez has to do in spring training or over the course of 2019 to really sort of cement what his role is with this team that that ultimately bought into him years ago with the contract um, and is still kind of kind of waiting to see that really solidify? So Carlos Martinez's favorite word to use when he does post-game interviews is focus, right? Mm -hmm. He always talks about focus, focus, focus. I think that's a good word for him this year because, you know, I think he needs to focus his attention on on on-field matters and, you know, kind of erase some of the distractions that we've seen him, you know, be kind of brought back by uh, on the outside. And he's, he, you know, I think what's interesting about Carlos Martinez is he's been a really, really good pitcher for the Cardinals, but everybody knows that his ceiling is higher. Yeah. So there's been this feeling of disappointment that he hasn't been able to reach his potential. And so, um, you know, for Carlos, I, to me, that's the thing. That's the big question this year is can he take that step up from being a really good major league starter to being a frontline ace, number one type starter who is competing for Cy Young awards because he has that kind of stuff. And so I think that's really um, kind of what has been a little bit frustrating to the Cardinals front office. Obviously, Carlos is going to have to stay healthy. I think that's a big part of it. So I'm curious to see and maybe we'll see him here at winter warm up this weekend. You know, what sort of conditioning program has he been following through this offseason? Is he going to come into spring? in optimal shape because that was not the case last year. And I do think that potentially contributed, A, to him not performing as well on the field and perhaps, too, to some of the injury issues um, he went through during the season. So he's got to get himself into shape physically. I think mentally that's part of it as well. And just 
have that desire to be the best version of Carlos Martinez that he can be that and and not to take this in a different direction, Tara, but that's like the one thing that has really impressed me about a guy like Jack Flaherty. Mm. He is somebody who you see put every ounce of himself into becoming the best version of Jack Flaherty he can be. And because of that, I think he is going to reach every ounce of his potential. You know, for Carlos Martinez, I'm not sure that's yet been there in his career. So I think this is a very critical season for him because, again, I think we're going to find out is is he a guy who can take big step forward or is he the guy who we've, we've seen here the last couple of years, which is good, but maybe not good enough. And to me, the question is always going to be out there, is he also somebody that's going to fit better in your bullpen eventually? Yeah. And is that going to be something that the Cardinals wrestle with again this year? Is Carlos Martinez potentially a better fit as your closer instead of a starter? Because for whatever reason, it seems like when he comes in out of the bullpen, there is an urgency there that he does not um, kind of you know show when he's, when he's starting. And so if he can channel that, I think he can be a better starting pitcher. Yeah, that's such an interesting conversation to me because I feel like I was talking to somebody about this the other day when when Carlos Martinez first came up and made his major league debut was pitching out of the bullpen was lights out there was this understanding that he would likely transition to the rotation but there was also this sort of resistance or or hesitation perhaps to stop and think okay well hold on he's actually really really good at this thing (laughs) maybe we should Consider that a bit more. And it's it's interesting to me to see that that's still the conversation with Carlos Martinez all these years later because of the success he's been able to replicate in that role compared to perhaps not being able to replicate that success as a starter. It's just a fascinating story for me because his his, as you mentioned, his ceiling is so high, his potential is there, the skill set is unbelievable. I think he's one of the most exciting pitchers to watch in the league when he's pitching well. But we're still having this conversation about, is he better as as a reliever? It's just a a fascinating comparison of the two um, possibilities for me. Yeah, and sometimes you wonder if Carlos enjoys that role more, yeah. too. I mean, you talk about him being really, really good at it. Sometimes I'm like, well, I think he has more fun at it as well. You know, and of course, the reason why the Cardinals, you know, still ex- excites them about his potential as a starter is, I mean, Carlos has like six pitches. Yeah. And so, you know, usually when you see guys transition to the bullpen, it's because they don't have enough pitches to be able to make it through a lineup, you know, two or three times through as a starting pitcher. I mean, Carlos, that is not an issue. You don't know what he's going to throw um, on a given day because he's got so much in his arsenal. So again, I think that's why the Cardinals feel like they want to give him every opportunity to reach his ceiling as a starting pitcher. But, you know, at some point, and and the reason we can have this conversation is because the Cardinals have so many starting pitching options as it is, you know, do you have potentially a better fit with him in the bullpen and one of these other young starters in your rotation? Maybe kind of that maximizes two assets a little bit better. We'll see. Yeah, it's the Cardinals do pitching very well. So, so that's uh, that lends itself to a lot of these um, maybe win-win situations. As far as the rotation is concerned, you mentioned a lot of those young guys. Um, it seems on paper that the starting rotation is is fairly outlined as far as who's going to be in that rotation. I guess Adam Wainwright's probably the the biggest question mark there, but sort of pencil him in until proven otherwise, as as far as I'm concerned. But if there was one of those other young guys that we saw at times last year who could make that leap and take one of those spots in the starting rotation, who do you think it would be at this point? You know, I look at Austin Gomber as a really interesting case. And I say that for a couple of reasons. I mean, number one, he was impressive last year and coming up. And so, I, I mean, I think there's potential there. But number two, I just like the idea of having a left-hander in your rotation. And we saw last year the Cardinals went, for the most part, all season with a right-handed 
all or heavy rotation. And I think that can be a little bit of a detriment in terms of, you know, you, you, you go to play a series and you're giving teams sometimes too familiar a look one day after another. And so um, I think, you know, if he were to take some steps forward and really make a strong impression that perhaps he would be next in line. I mean, the easy answer is a guy like John Gant because he pitched so well in the rotation last year. Um, but to me, Tara, and this isn't to, to kind of diss on John Gant, but I, like he's just a guy to me. Yeah. And, I, and I think that they have a lot of guys with the same potential. So um, Austin is somebody who intrigues me. He is going to have to take some steps forward in his career. He's somebody, too, that could maybe end up in the bullpen. We talk a lot about left-handed relief, and I know the Cardinals answer that question a little bit with Andrew Miller, uh, but Austin Gomber, I think, is somebody else who could potentially factor as a lefty in that pen. The bullpen is an interesting mix. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we have time to dive down that rabbit hole, but um, if if there's a, a standout guy who who needs to contribute in that bullpen for it to be at its best, or maybe someone who has been underrated that, that can have that sort of key impact in the bullpen. Obviously, Andrew Miller, when he's healthy, we know what he is. Um, we saw Jordan Hicks last year come up and, and make an impact. But, but if there's a guy that maybe can can pull that all together or be the piece that um, makes you feel a little bit better about this, this bullpen. Who is that guy? Yeah. I mean, we can go in different directions with this. I think one guy is Mike Myers Mm. and, you know, I think we saw really interesting potential from him last year, but I don't think he had the consistent opportunity to showcase that potential. Um, You know, Heck, he was not somebody who I thought would be out there throwing 98, 99 miles an hour. And he's <laughs> like, like anybody did. <laughs> no. So like, I don't know where that came from while I was on maternity leave. But all of a sudden I came back and I was like, this is not the guy I had covered before. So he is somebody that really intrigues me. And I think Mike Schilt really likes him and is going to give him some opportunities. John Brebia is somebody that we probably don't talk enough about. I mean, we could argue that he was maybe behind Norris and Hicks, their best reliever last year in sure. terms of. consistent performance. So I think he too is a guy who should be able to factor potentially into those late innings. You know, my wild cards here is the Cardinals have to get something, hopefully from either Gregerson or Cecil. And I'm not totally optimistic. They're going to get something from both of them. So we'll set the bar a little (laughs) bit lower, but when you look at what they invested financially, but also the fact that these are two, you know, veteran arms that can be assets in your bullpen can they stay healthy, number one, and be effective, number two? Um, I think that could go a long way in terms of stabilizing the bullpen. But both are huge questions for me coming into spring. And quite frankly, I think if you know if we get to the end of spring and either is not healthy or not performing, I wouldn't be surprised if the Cardinals cut ties. But at this point, they would certainly like to be able to recoup a little bit from that investment. Yeah, with the way they've, they've been a little bit aggressive uh, this offseason, I wouldn't be surprised if they – Finally, just sort of bite the bullet and and make that move. The last question I have for you is a little bit broader. You came back after maternity leave, as you mentioned, to a bit of a crazy uh, summer storm of of baseball that no one could really figure out. Um, But now we have the Mike Schilt era, and it's his chance to come in and, and set things up the way that he wants them to be, to run things the way that he sees is best. From... What we saw from Mike Schilt, from what you could take away from the madness of the late summer for the Cardinals in 2018, what expectations do you have uh, of Mike Schilt and the impact that he can have leading this team forward? Mike Schilt is very, very impressive. And, you know, it 
It was interesting to me when he got the full-time job, kind of the national reaction to that being so different than the local reaction to that. Because I think those who have followed the Cardinals respected his climb through the system um, and was very familiar with kind of his resume. On the outside, you know, the questions were, well, why would they hire this guy and not go interview Joe Girardi or somebody of that like? Um, I think Mike Schilt is very much the right man for this job. When you, you know, players can be very candid off camera and, you know, when the microphones and the tape recorders go away – I have not heard anyone say anything negative about Mike Schilt or the job that he did coming in last year. I mean, he kind of transformed how the communication in club in the clubhouse and how, I mean, it just went seamlessly from that point forward, not just between players and the manager, but also between the coaching staff and the manager and the coaching staff and the players. So I feel like everybody's pulling in the same direction again. And to, you know, to me, that's a, the credit um, of the man sitting in the manager's office. So you know, it's going to be interesting because, let's be honest, Mike Schilt faced very little adversity last year, right? I mean, yeah, they, they kind of stumbled toward the end. But, you know, for a lot of folks, it was just exciting that they were even in it until the end of September. So how does he handle adversity and how does the clubhouse respond to that is going to be something that we're going to see play out at some point this year, most certainly. Um, but I think Mike Schilt is going to hand this clubhouse um, back over to the players in many respects. He's a teacher at heart. I think he's going to have a great focus on the fundamentals and actually be able to execute that instead of just kind of saying that's a focus, um, really be able to push this group toward it. I think he's assembled a very impressive and diverse coaching staff. And so I'm curious to see in spring training how that all comes together. And I think their strengths will kind of complement one another. There's kind of the mix of the analytics type um, coaches, but also then maybe more the the old fashioned just communicators and teachers. So I'm excited to see what he can do in a full season. Certainly he's, you know, being given a team with a lot of potential and a lot of promise. Um, But I think that there's a lot to be excited about. I also am encouraged, Tara, to add one last thing. You know, he's, he's a student of the game and he's very curious about where this game is going. And he studies, you know, he watched the playoffs with an eye to bullpen usage in particular and to see what other managers are doing. So I think he's really going to be kind of upfront um, it maybe changes you see analytically and strategically, which is something we hadn't seen here in recent years. Yeah, I think I'm almost as intrigued by that, by by Mike Schilt, by the coaching staff that he's brought in and how that can change the dynamic for this team as I am the to see what the, the players actually do this year because there is so much potential there. Uh, but it's going to be, I think, driven by that that foundation that's laid by Mike Schilt early this season. So uh, lots, to, uh, lots to look forward to, lots of questions still to be answered, um, more so, I think, for the other teams in the division at this point than the Cardinals. They kind of answered their big questions, uh, but it uh, is setting up to be very interesting. So thank you for your time this morning. Again, your your regular voice will be missed in the, the Cardinals media scene, but um, at least you'll be, still be around to see what happens in the Mike Schilt era. I will. And as I tell <laughs> folks, I'll still pop into Bush Stadium every once in a while. So I'm not going to completely disappear. I'll still be on Twitter and hopefully we'll find an outlet for writing as well. But it's been awesome getting to know you and others kind of in the blogger and podcast and Skype community. Um, you know, this Cardinals organization is lucky to have passionate fans all over the place. And that's, again, it's been an honor to, to bring coverage to you guys. Well, they appreciate it. I appreciate your time. I will let you get back to it. But thanks so much, Jen. Thank you. I know, I know we didn't talk about Bryce Harper or Manny Machado. And that seems to break all the offseason rules at this point. But quite frankly, I'm a little tired of talking about it because no one actually knows anything. So we can continue that conversation on Twitter as we certainly will, as we 
certainly continue to wait to see what happens there. As for Jennifer Langosh, again, thank you to her for joining me. Best of luck in the new gig as she leaves the beat behind and big shoes to fill, to say the least, for whomever it is that comes into that position next. With lots of things to talk about in the upcoming season as the Mike Schilt era gets underway. Winter warm-up this weekend. If you're there, send us your pictures. We'll share them with the Birds on the Black community. If you're not, well, that's okay. I'm not either. Just stay hunkered down and don't drive in the snowstorm. For Birds on the Black and for Jennifer Langosh, I'm Tara Wellman. I'll see you next time.